0: Alrighty, welcome to North of the 49th. This week's episode, we have a very multi-talented writer, director, comedian. I think that about covers it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple little blurbs. We have Ashley Cooper in the house. Hello. How are you?
1: Good. Good. Keeping busy, trying to get some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> when you can. When yeah. You can find the time. There's never enough time for sleep. Isn't there though? Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> Good four or five hours, I think. Five hours, I should say. I shouldn't go with the four hours. You started to get loopy, but I found five hours was around the good, the good time frame for myself at least. I prefer twelve to fourteen. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. you can have a good half day, you can have a, a fun half day. Yeah, I was uh, surprised when I did the research. I didn't know what we had met in film. Yeah, through show, um, but I didn't know how much film stuff you did. Outside of it, yeah, I'm a kind of all over the place. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I searched it up. Your IMDb came up, bunch of shorts. Yeah, so writing, directing, producing, yep. editing, even. All right, before I go too far, <laughs> with it, why don't you give your a little intro, a little little bio for the for the listeners?
1: Oh God, um, I guess these days I would most accurately describe myself as a writer and comedian. Um, I have an extensive background in, uh, production doing like producing and directing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a minute since I've directed anything though. So that's something I have to remedy sooner than later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I used to produce TV commercials for a while. Oh, um, and that was really creatively unfulfilling. Yeah, <laughs> uh, So I tried not to do it for too long, um, and then, uh, kind of transitioned into, uh, writing for television. I'm currently on Frankie Drake Mysteries uh, as the coordinator for the new season coming up, amazing. Um, and spending a lot of my evenings at comedy clubs around town.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is great. That's what I. At first, I was like, "Oh, that's what we're going to talk about It's just pure comedy," which is amazing. And then I found all this film stuff, which seems to be before before the comedy. Then,
1: yes, very much so. Yeah, cool.
0: So, how did you how did you get into film? Then, let's start with the film stuff. So, how sure. did you get into film? How did you get into the writing? Uh, directing kind of aspect of it?
1: Well, the writing stuff I've been doing basically forever in one form or another. Um, Basically, you know, when I was a kid and I was growing up, I wanted to make comic books for a living. Oh, nice. And I grew up in Hamilton with a dad who was like a forklift driver. Like I could not have been more divorced from any creative endeavor. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't really have a good sense of what that meant. I just knew that I liked superheroes and I wanted to make the things that i was enjoying yeah uh but it never occurred to me that there was a difference between writing comics and drawing comics i just thought somebody made a comic and that's what i was reading mm-hmm. and so i would write and draw comics ever since i was like really little even if they were just like little four panel things on a page <laughs> or like even if i was drawing single you know illustrations on a piece of like hillroy lined paper yeah, yeah you know they would be like frames from a story of some kind it would be people fighting or it would be you know whatever like a a, a tableau of some sort almost Mm -hmm. um and so i always wanted to to be telling stories in some way shape or form and as i was getting older my taste in stories was becoming more complicated more nuanced but i was finding that my illustration skills no matter how hard i tried were not catching up to my tastes okay and so i started to get really frustrated with that Because I found that I was writing these stories and not being able to, uh, I guess, capitalize on them or deliver on them the way that I was hoping I could, the way that I could see them in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, And around 11th grade, I took a visual communications class, which was the first time that I'd ever dealt with, like, filmmaking equipment. We had cameras, and uh, it was, like, a very, uh, very old, like, toaster tape-to-tape editing suite, like, in the back room, (laughs) like... um, and it was there that I got my first taste of filmmaking as a as a, an art and a craft, mm-hmm. and I kind of had like this light bulb moment, just like instantly, like wait a second, people always look like people, yeah. <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to make them <laughs> yeah, right. look like anything. That's who they are. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: and so I was like, oh my god! So I can do all this stuff that I've been enjoying, which is the writing. But not have to worry about this stuff over here—the drawing, which has been frustrating me. Yeah. So I can funnel all my efforts into the things that have been exciting me. So that was a really big deal. And at the end of that year, um, our our big end uh, big end of term project was that the teacher split the room into two, uh, just well, split the class into two to be yeah. more specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we both we each became uh, two uh, separate film crews. Okay, and so it was basically uh, somebody was assigned as kind of like a team captain on each side, and then they got to basically uh, like delegate the the jobs and responsibilities to everybody else. And so, like, I volunteered to write it immediately, yeah, I was yeah. like, Yeah, no, absolutely, that's nice. what I want to do. Um, but the because the team captain more or less was like the director, quote unquote, yeah, yeah, um, and so. I scurried off and I wrote it and I, I had so much fun writing it. And, but then I found that the, the guy that was supposed to be our director was basically just like slacking off and not doing his job and stuff like that. And so because, because I kind of already had skin in the game, having already written the script and stuff, yeah, yeah. I kind of became like a, the, the director by default by yeah. the fact <laughs> that like I actually stood up and started doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's high school. It's a class project. Anybody that's ever been to school knows that class projects are hell in a (laughs) handbasket. And... This was no different. Like getting anybody to do anything was like pulling teeth. Yeah, like even the actors, like getting them to say their lines as written was next to impossible. Like, I just felt like I was fighting every single stage. Yeah, yeah. Were the
0: actors part of the or people from school? Oh yeah, yeah. Every
1: everybody, like everybody involved in it, was a member of the class. Oh really? Okay. Um, So it was all just very frustrating, and whatever. By the time it was over, we we made something, and I I got. (laughs) It was the only time in all of my schooling through elementary and high school that I got the highest grade in the class. Nice. At the end, of, like on my report card, I got 93 in that class. And I, I'm not bragging. It was, it's specifically that was the moment where I was like, oh, I understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I struggled through school. All the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in grade five, there was an instance where I, it, w- it was almost like dyslexia, but for numbers. Okay. Like I, I just so didn't understand fundamentally what was going on in this math assignment mm-hmm. to the point that I got so frustrated that I started bawling. Oh. I ripped the sheet up and stormed out of the room. Just oh, didn't know what else to do with myself. Like, yeah, it was just yeah. so like, Schooling was never something that I excelled at in most respects. Like in grade nine, my first year of high school, I was basically skating by the majority of my classes. I did well in English, I did well in languages, I did well in art, and I, you know, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But like the second you went to math or the second you went to like sciences, like, all of that kind of stuff. Like I was just, I was, I was skating by everything. 50s, 60s, yeah. like just not doing particularly well. And so for me to get the highest grade in the class was like this unbelievable, unprecedented event for me. Yeah. definitely. Where it was like, Oh wow. Like this is something that I really enjoyed and really loved doing. Mm-hmm. And now I have a piece of measurable evidence yeah. that says that I'm also comparatively speaking, pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. And so that was huge for me. That was a that was like a real moment of like reinforcement that like this was maybe the right direction to be going in. Mm-hmm. Um and then I fucked it up for myself by taking a quote unquote year off. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the, the classic year <laughs> <off>. <laughs> which actually ended up being I think three. Yeah, right. um, yeah which is exactly what I think a year off yeah. ends up being on yeah. average. Um, and then went to Toronto film school for a hot second. Okay. Um, yeah. That's where I went as was, well as CFS. Uh, <laughs> back when it was in the CBC building. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. And, uh, basically I, you know, cause nobody in my, uh, nobody in my entire family had ever gone to college or university or any kind of post-secondary okay. school. My mom was the only living member of my family that graduated high school before me. Oh, wow. Um, and so getting into this program was a really big deal to me. Definitely. So when you were doing your application, I don't know if it was the same when you did it, they, it was like all the normal stuff, fill out these thousand forms, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then they were, they also asked, uh, to write an essay on a movie that you loved and why you loved it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was
0: kind of the same thing. They did a critique. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was a movie critique. Uh, you had okay. Do yeah, yeah. Two. I think you had to do two of them. You had to do okay. a storyboard draw your own storyboard. Oh, I didn't yeah. do that. They were like, Oh, it can be stick figure and whatever, which it, mine ended up being for sure. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> some m- kind of sense of visual storytelling. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So mine was, it was, it was just this, this essay, but I was so, I so badly wanted to prove myself to these people that like, cause like I knew that I didn't have the best grades from high school and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like, I need to, I need to make up for, you know, the, the grades with, Uh, with some kind of determination, some kind of passion that they can see. Yeah, definitely. And so I wrote uh, several essays, but then what I also did was I shot a couple of little short films in my apartment with some friends of mine and included a DVD of those. Nice. Thinking like... it doesn't matter if they're good or not. It, it, I'm trying like, yeah. Yeah. Make was, me better than this yeah, sort of, for, you know, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. Um, show the passion. Exactly. You know, show the exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I got into the program. I was so excited. Um, and was it was that the
0: writing program or the production program.
1: It was at the time there was just the one. Oh, okay. And yeah. it was just everything all inclusive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, and basically I went and was like so excited until basically I got there because I was so set on making sure I got into this program and put in all of this extra effort. And then I got there, and there were people that were just some of the the laziest, yeah. like just <laughs> yeah. like just people that didn't care that they were there, people that had the biggest unearned egos in the world, mm-hmm. just like all of these people that were clearly not there like to work that were not that did not have work ethic or discipline had unrealistic expectations of what a career looked like yeah. all these things and maybe it's because i grew up in hamilton where you know most for the most part nobody does anything yeah. you know like <laughs> um my family by and large is gets, you know, gets by on, on, on Joe jobs, you know, Mm -hmm. like my dad Mm -hmm. is a forklift driver. I have an aunt that works at a Dollarama, like very blue collar people, very, you know, average folk. And so like, to me, the idea of striving for one of these, you know, very uh, sought after and highly coveted, you know, creative jobs. I was like, I am going to have to work so hard because Mm -hmm. I'm coming at this, from the most outside that I could possibly be. Yeah. You know, like I had no connections. I had nobody that I could, that could write a reference letter for me for the program. Like nothing. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was just me. And I knew that I was going to have to work hard yeah. in order to make up that gap. Um, And so I kind of came into it with this very like militant work ethic mindset. Like I am here to get that 93 again. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, like yeah. that was what I was chasing in every class that I sat down in and I was not seeing that from my other classmates, and it was very kind of like disheartening, yeah, kind of definitely. right out of the gate. Yeah. Um. But especially because those people you're gonna have to work with, and like it's such a team. Yeah. It's such a team goal, and so <laughs> I was I was really disappointed in it. But I stuck around. I was trying to get what I needed out of it. Um. But initially, I had gone specifically, uh, for directing. Yeah. Because I hated the experience of directing when I was doing the pr- the project at high school. But I eventually came around to the fact that the reason why I hated it was because it was like pulling teeth and it was with classmates, not crew members. Yeah. And I yeah. It, it took me a little while to figure out that there was obviously a difference to that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when it did, it kind of like it was another one of those light bulb moments. But like, oh, no, I didn't hate it because I hated directing. I hated that they made it so much harder than it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I went specifically for directing because in the time in between, like I had taken the quote unquote year off. But while I was doing that, I took some online like screenwriting classes and stuff like that oh, okay, just nice. to just to, you know, something to pursue. Yeah. Keep up the skills. Um, but then I wanted, fresh, to, yeah. uh, I wanted to I wanted to complement that skill set with the directing stuff. And uh, so that's specifically why I wanted to go to this program, because I'd heard so much about how uh, how hands on it is and how practical it is yeah. and all these things. Um, and they absolutely were like it you learn so much like crewing stuff. You learn how to run cable. You learn Mm -hmm. like how to operate a ton of different cameras and all that kind of stuff. But I found that it was really lacking in actual directing stuff. There was not a lot of stuff on cinematic language. There was not a lot of stuff on uh, working with actors and stuff like that. And so I found I was supplementing this very expensive education that I was paying for with my own homework after the fact uh, when I would get home and on weekends and stuff like that, and I would devour, you know, articles and books and, and director commentaries and all these other things, but to fill in gaps into this, edu- this education that I was paying for it yeah. to a point where I was like, it's really expensive to be hanging out here yeah. and not... <laughs> be getting what i'm was hoping to get yeah it. for sure and so because they do a lot more tech stuff it's a, it is a yeah lot and it, it's a that. great program yeah. if that's the stuff you want yeah. like i don't know if you'll find a better program yeah like yeah. within the within the first week we're already shooting stuff yeah exactly you know? light setups, um, camera setups yeah yeah
0: that's why i went there too it's like very hands-on like, exactly oh, Maybe seeing frames right away and
1: but then about eight months in i was coming to this realization and i was like second half of my osap is going to come out soon it's gonna be a lot it's gonna you know and i'm Mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. this far into it i was like i don't know if i need to be here still Mm -hmm. and then i got an internship at the Cannes film festival with the american pavilion okay nice in may of 2008 um and so basically the deal is like you get to go to the festival and you get like an all-access festival badge. And for six hours a day, you work at the American Pavilion. So you do either do door or you work in the conference room or whatever. They own you for six hours a day. And then the rest of the time is yours. You can do whatever you want. You can oh, go to nice. the market. You can go to screenings. You can oh, okay. try to smuggle your way into a party, whatever you want to do.
0: Yeah, very cool.
1: Um, and so I basically took that opportunity to, to basically crash, to create a crash course for myself into the business of film. Mm -hmm. because obviously like that's a big blank spot on the map of most film schools is they want to talk to you about craft. They want to talk to you about camera. They want to talk to you about how to use, you know, avid and all these other things. But then you get out into the world and you're like, how to make a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, You know, (laughs) yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm here. I have a badge that I, I can walk around the market floor mm-hmm. and nobody's going to blink twice at me, aside from maybe the fact that I'm, like, way younger than anybody else yeah, that's in yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, so I took advantage of that. And basically every minute during the day that I wasn't working, I spent in the market and I would just walk around – And I don't know if you've ever been in a film market, but it's basically like a trade show for film distributors. So, like, if you've ever been to a trade show, it's all, like, flashy stands with, like, banners and stuff of, like, the latest project or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then in the film, so the film ones are very much like that with TVs that loop trailers and stuff like that. Uh, And, like, a a legit, like, just salesman, basically, standing there waiting to talk to people about stuff. And then, like, almost like a comic book turnstile of like one sheets of projects that are in development or looking for financing or whatever oh, nice. with like a really pretty piece of artwork on the front and then details about the project on the back yeah, on the back. Yeah. Budget who's in it, who's directing it, log line, all that kind of stuff. And so this is literally where people are spending five, six, seven figures to pick up projects for different markets. Okay. So nice. like people from, you know, Poland will be there buying up distribution rights for their company to release films in Poland okay all over but also like everybody all over the world and so I would walk around and then I would look for people who were already in the middle of a meeting because I wouldn't know what to do if anybody talked to me yeah (laughs) Yeah. but I would wait until there were two people like until I could see two people were already in the middle of a discussion and then I would stand by the turnstile and just slowly like pick up one sheets and pretend to be reading them, but, you're but I'm eavesdropping <laughs> oh, on amazing. their conversations nice, nice. and listening to how they speak and listening to what these conversations sound like. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when they're, ta- they're they, when they're talking about bundling different films for different territories or when they're talking, you know, like all, yeah, learning beautiful. all of these new terms and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, and so that was really remarkable. And I was like, wow, like this isn't like, this is so beyond uh, yeah, anything that, that they're been. talking to me about in class. Cause yeah, at this point time. I was still in the program. Oh, okay. Um, but I was like, I was on the fence about leaving when I got this internship. I was like, okay, I'll revisit this when I get back. By the time, I, by the time the festival was over, I was like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. W- goodbye. Like, <laughs> yeah. cause I learned, basically I
0: more being there. Yeah. Cause basically the time, like yeah. the
1: way the program was structured at the time was you went through the, all five terms because at, for the ultimate goal of at the, f- f- uh, yeah. The ultimate yeah. goal being that in term five you got to make a, a short film. Yeah, exactly. And when I got the internship opportunity to Can, I was like, I can't, I can't go to the biggest film festival in the world, claim to be a filmmaker and not have any films made. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as I got the news that I had gotten this internship, a friend of mine in class, uh, shot two shorts. Back to back uh, so that we would have something that resembled like a, a reel, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that I was able to take that with me and anybody that asked to see my stuff, I had something to wave around. Nice. So I had already shot two of what the final project was supposed to be (laughs) that was still (laughs) off on the horizon. Yeah. And I just came back from learning all of this stuff that it wasn't even going to be covered in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? It's way too expensive to still be here. I got all y'all on Facebook. Yeah. We'll chat later. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, And so I, I left and basically hit nose to grindstone in Toronto, just working as hard as I could writing as much as I could. Um, and then eventually, started building that into smaller projects, and using those smaller projects to step up, you know, yeah, a couple yeah. rungs on the ladder here, a couple rungs in the ladder there, um, until I got to make interview with a time traveler, which is my last short that I did, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which had, you know, um, we skipped film festivals on in- on that one because we didn't quite know where it fit in the world, okay, because it's this little small, intimate sci-fi short about time travel that doesn't actually. Feature any time travel. Okay, it's all about the the theory of time travel, the consequences of time travel, and all these things. It's very philo- philosophical, um, but nobody actually gets in a time machine and, and disappears. Okay, um, and so it was like that's too weird for general film festivals, but it's not specific enough for genre film festivals. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put up put it out online mm-hmm. and just. If two hundred people see it, great. Yeah. How many yeah. film festivals would I have to submit to before two hundred people saw that's, it? Anyway, yeah, it's and that's frustrating. Twenty dollars a submission, thirty dollars yeah, a submission, twenty dollars yeah. like they're a big money. Grab. Yeah. Like yeah. if I had that money to begin with, it would have gone into the film. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, forget it. We'll just throw it up online. I was fortunate enough to have a couple really great actors in it, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. was just like, we, we'll just tweet it and and hope for the best. And uh, by the end of it, we're somewhere around 200,000 views. Yeah, I was going to say when I did a little, yeah. Sold it (laughs) to a company in Japan who wanted it for, I think, Japanese Airlines. Um, oh, wow, okay, nice. I sold it to a YouTube, a sci-fi YouTube channel. Amazing. Uh, I sold it to CBC for their Northern Reflections program. Amazing. Like, yeah, it's, by the end of the day, like, I think we actually made money on it. Yeah. Um, which, for a short film, yeah. is not <laughs> yeah, 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 not how you're just... that's supposed to go, I don't <laughs> no. think. Um, but it cost us almost nothing, you yeah. know, because we fundraised most of it on Kickstarter, but even at that, it was only a few thousand dollars. It was literally two guys in a room. Yeah. talking yeah and it just happened to be that we found something that was interesting and intriguing for them to talk about yeah right? That's um, cool. and so that really took off and that was great and then that kind of helped kick me up another few notches and to be taken a little more seriously and stuff and I started developing feature projects and I adapted a couple comic books oh nice uh, which is really interesting Um, which was cool because a bit of a tangent but so I, I did that and then uh, did the short and then used that, uh, to kind of like have like, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm up and coming. I'm emerging. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on my way sort of thing to help people take me a little bit more seriously. Um, and then around that time I had adapt, uh, I had optioned a comic book, uh, that heavy metal had published and turned that into a TV pilot. Uh, nice. and then that got picked up for development. And I got to work with David Hader on it, who wrote the first two X-Men movies and The Scorpion King and all kinds of other shit. And he was super fucking cool. And I learned so much from him. That's amazing. Um, And then used that experience to option another comic book that I adapted into a feature script, which unfortunately didn't end up going anywhere, but was again, like this really incredible learning experience, um, which eventually, you know, roundabout way led me to like my first paid jobs in television. And then... To getting my agent at Vanguard, and now I'm kind of here, and I'm working on Frankie Drake mysteries. That's nice. a very truncated kind of back half of the story, but I yep. realize I've been rambling like forever. That's all, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> These
0: are all interesting points. This is what we want. <laughs> great stories and tales. <laughs> no, that's great. That's that's crazy. Because I, when I looked, I did a little bit of research, obviously um and i and i saw the bit that you had really big successful kickstarter campaigns i think it's like two of them
1: yeah two of them yeah Yeah, my first my first short uh for elijah the prophet yeah elijah the prophet yeah yeah yeah. which it would uh how did that one go that one was great we raised over twenty thousand dollars for that damn um and that was she had some bigger actors. Yeah, uh, in, Art Hindle was our lead. Yeah, which was really cool. And Melanie Nichols King from Rookie Blue. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did
0: you? How did you? I want to know how you linked up with the,
1: with them. How did you get? Okay, them, so they'll, they'll Elijah. Play. Elijah was a very specific confluence of uh, serendipity, I will say, um, because I was at a film school for a little while at this point, and trying to figure out how to kind of. Uh, kick myself up to the next level because mm-hmm. I'd done a couple mm-hmm. student shorts but I knew that I was going to need to do like a, a quote-unquote real short yeah at yeah. some point and when I was in Cannes in the internship I met a guy who I really hit it off with we were we uh, were roommates at the hotel and We got along really well, had very similar storytelling sensibilities, kind of liked the same movies. Mm -hmm. So we hung out a lot during the festival. He lived in New York. Okay. So uh, basically after the festival, we still stayed in touch a lot, but didn't see each other. But we were always kind of the first point of contact for, hey, I just finished writing this thing. Will you take a look at it? Yeah, yeah. Um, And he and his brother had written this short film called Elijah the Prophet. And it was really funny and super hilarious. And like, I just, I loved it so much. Uh, but it was like a Jewish comedy. Okay. And so like, I'm not Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> I have, like, I have no, you know, horse in that race. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I just thought it was so universally funny, like because it explained really well to somebody like myself, who's a total outsider. It set up the context for everything you needed in order to find the things funny. Okay, uh, which I thought was really well done considering like that could very easily just come off as exposition. Mm-hmm. Just 10 minutes of throwing information at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they had submitted it to the Canadian Short Screenplay Competition um, and ended up winning that year. Oh, nice. And the competition was run by a producer who took the winning script and produced it and then used the success of that short to promote the the competition the following year oh okay and nice. so I had seen the level of work that he was doing he was doing like at the time Bravo fact was still a thing yeah so he's yeah. getting Bravo fact for it he was you know like he was getting he was getting good production value good money good talent involved mm-hmm. and I was like this seems like an in. Yeah. You know, and it, the slightest, like, I know the people that wrote the script and I thought the script was funny. Like, yeah, it was the, sm- yeah, it was the yeah. smallest thing, uh, but it was just enough that I, I reached out because we knew each other tangentially just through being in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we weren't like friends. We didn't really know each other super well or anything, but I had his email address and that was enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <So> yeah exactly. <laughs> I reached out and I was like, hey, like, you know, saw that this script won this year. Uh, You know, I read it a while ago. I think it's really funny. Um, I don't know what your plans are for it, but I would love to be considered to direct it. Uh, And he was like, yeah, you know what? I I haven't started thinking about that yet. So why don't you send me a sample of something and then maybe we can uh, meet up and have a coffee and we'll talk about it. So I sent him uh, one of my student shorts which could not have been more different yeah. than what this thing was supposed to be yeah because uh, my shorts from from uh school were like one of them was about a contract killer and was like yes. this really like philosophical like the morality of a hitman sort of thing yeah yeah and then the other one was like a psychological thriller um so like yeah. could not and then i'm like let me pitch my take on this Jewish comedy yeah. that you have. <laughs> yeah. <right>. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I sent it. I sent it to him, and I was like, obviously very different, but like at least you'll be able to tell if you like my storytelling style or like, yeah, if yeah. you think I'm a fucking idiot, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me know either way. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so he watched it. He was like, yeah, let's let's have coffee. I, I want to hear what you have to say. And so I went. I pitched my heart out, and he was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. Why not? Nice. And I was like, awesome. Uh, but then we came up uh we came up to a lot of problems because as I mentioned he was using Bravo Fact predominantly yeah. for a lot of his prior ones. Um but a uh, Bravo Fact uses government money, mm-hmm. uh which means it comes with a lot of uh limitations. Yeah. In terms of the content you can have. And there was a lot of swearing in this. Uh Elijah was driving around drunk, going from house to house. Okay, uh, and then like all so like it, we basically not we knocked off a bunch of the things that they said don't do. Yeah, and could not figure out a way to make a good movie without them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, those um, sound like great
0: things. So
1: we were like, we were like, okay, so now what? And this was in 2012, which was around the time that Kickstarter was just starting to become like the big m- machine that it became. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the at the time, thing, yeah. it wasn't even officially launched in Canada yet. Oh, okay. It was still back when it was still only in the US. Yeah, okay. Um, And I was like, well, what about this? Because be- it's something that I'd been keeping my eye on very closely and was very interested yeah. in. Yeah. And had been dying for it to launch in Canada because I was so curious about it. Um, but around that time, like it was still so early in the process that, you know, like none of the major successes had happened. Like, uh, the Zach Braff movie hadn't happened. Veronica mm. Mars hadn't happened. Yeah. It was all purely, uh, little indie things. Yeah, yeah. All like passion projects and labors of love. And I was like, what about this as a possibility? And he was like, Oh, well, you know, I've heard about it and I've looked at it. He's like, but the risk, mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk. Yeah. And time. if we don't make that money, that's going to look bad on me. Cause I'm the producer. I have a brand to protect with the competition and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, that's totally understandable. And I, I don't, I honestly don't know what I did that eventually turned him onto it. Yeah. Uh, but he eventually gave in and was like, okay, fuck it. Let's try. Yeah. Um, and so we built the campaign, uh, and pushed as hard as humanly possible. And we we're very lucky to make our goal within a couple days left over, uh in the campaign. Oh nice. Uh did you
0: do the full 30 day?
1: Yeah, we did thir- we yeah. did 30 days. Um and uh we made it I think we hit our goal uh with 3 days to go. Nice. Um and then basically leveraging the successes he had had with his shorts and he was the I want to say he was the director of development at Minds Eye Entertainment that used to be in Saskatchewan, might still be in Saskatchewan. Um basically used that to uh, have agents take us seriously when we were querying actors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like through some people that I had known kind of through the scene was able to get some of kind of like our crew, like our higher end crew people. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of just trying to use that mix of things, uh, you know, as like a snowball rolling downhill to help it pick up momentum. It's like, oh, our DP just shot this tv show Mm -hmm. he's willing to work with us so we're real sort of thing you know like look for like kind of higher profile yeah yeah because at that because at that point like i'm i'm nobody i know this at the time like i i have no credits to my name like i showed the producer this short but like i am not really just throwing that out into the world like i don't want that to be my public perception yeah yeah uh so i'm like i don't really have anything of mine that i can show you So you can't put your trust in me, but you can put your trust in this person that's putting their trust in me. Yeah. This person that's willing to work with me. And so it was all about surrounding myself with people that you could look at and say, yes, I trust this enough to give me to give you twenty five dollars or I trust this enough to give you fifty dollars or whatever.
0: Um, Because they're hard. They're.
1: It's not <laughs> – it is not an easy thing. Yeah. And it is a stressful thing. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and we were very fortunate. We made it, um, and then we put it together. And this largely uh, influenced my decisions later with the Interview the Time Traveler. Uh, but the way that he the, – the way that the producer – uh, liked to measure the success of the short was Film Festival Laurels. Yeah, yeah. And we had this very weird, very niche, very specific short film about this alcoholic prophet <laughs> that drunk drives <laughs> through suburban neighborhoods <laughs> to deliver goodwill to to Jewish families during Passover. Okay. Yeah. And he, he was basically... Like the, you know, the 40 year old that still hangs out at college parties and everyone's afraid to tell him he's not cool anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, and so like he would like, he's throwing up on people's lawns cause he's been drinking all night. Like he's just this belligerent party animal prophet who's like swearing and swerving on the road, you know, with like empty bottles clinging in the backseat. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not really the sort of thing that has a lot of homes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were very lucky that like the Jewish community like saw the the joke mm-hmm. and realized that we were that we were um we were laughing within it, not laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was something that I was very uh, cognizant of, like not being Jewish and kind of not coming from that background. I was, anytime any time I would make a decision that I thought was maybe a little left side, I would always check with our writers, and they came up. And like we're on set when we shot and stuff, which was a lot of fun. Um, but I was always like, that's okay. Right. Like I'm not, because a part of me too, was like the thing that I loved about the script was that as a total outsider, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So for Mm -hmm. me, that's what Mm -hmm. I wanted the short to be. Yeah. It couldn't be so steeped in all of the tropes and traditions that it was inaccessible to a general audience. Yeah. But I also did not at all want to disrespect those things. Yeah, For the yeah. people that were in the audience that did appreciate them. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so for me, like, being the out- from the outside perspective, I would do things like, you know, uh, something as small as, like, in the car when Elijah's driving around, what kind of music does he listen to? hmm You know? Mm-hmm. And from a, a tropey traditional standpoint, there would be some kind of like, you know, Passover Yiddish, you know, tunes or something like that. And I turned him into kind of like this dirty, like uh, <laughs> grunge rock sort of guy, no, you know, like bl- uh, yeah. just bass blasting out, of like sh- vibrating through his windows and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Because he's kind of like this party animal who never grew up sort of thing. Yeah, And so I liked that idea of, of giving that different interpretation to him, but was also like that's not too far from like the intention, right? Like always kind of making sure to, to play within the sandbox, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so when we, we, we had this weird niche thing, but the producer still wanted to make sure that it went out in film festivals. So we could say official selection of X number of festivals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We spent a year and I don't even know how many hundreds of dollars, uh, applying for the, applying for festivals. And we got into 13 of them. Oh, Nice. Don't know what any of them are called. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We spent all this money for all these festival laurels. (laughs) Yeah. And we never went to a single festival. Yeah. Not a, you know, none of the festivals mattered. Yeah. You know, two weeks after we played it, none of us could remember what it was called. Yep. You know. Yeah. Um. And so that, for me in particular, was a point of frustration mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm proud of this. I want people to see this, but I can't show it to anybody because it has to be under lock and key, or we get disqualified from all the film festivals. Yeah. So that's why later, when I was doing the producing with Interview, the time travel was like, nope, it goes out. Yep. So like <laughs> yeah. Like, just It's finished. Lock cut. Kick yeah. it out the fucking door. <laughs> like, people <laughs> yeah. are gonna see this. Yeah. shit yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Onto the interweb. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Go run
0: rampant. So then you went. So that's what interview with a time traveler was just straight. That's the one you put straight to. Was it Vimeo? Yeah. Then you would just yeah, put yeah, it I put on? it up on Vimeo. Yeah, nice. And that was another successful Kickstarter. Yeah, much well. much
1: less money. Okay. Um, because at that point, because basically what had happened was, and this will get this will be funnier later. Um, <laughs> I directed Elijah the Prophet, and within that eight minutes. Eight minutes and 51 seconds or whatever the runtime of that short is, I suddenly became a comedy director. Okay, nice. Against my <laughs> own will, sort of. Yeah. Like, yeah. I had done it because I wanted, I knew the opportunities that it would present me to work with higher levels of talent than what I was already getting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what I wasn't betting on was that now that I had a short film that was a comedy, I was a comedy filmmaker. Okay which was not something that I wanted yeah. at the time. Yeah. I wanted to be making weird sci-fi stuff and weird fantasy stuff. And like, I wanted to be making the kind of movies that I love to watch. Mm, and mm-hmm. you know, like I'm the kind of person that like ended up having to rebuy Pacific Rim because I literally burned out the Blu-ray. Oh, wow. like I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm that bitch. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, I want to be telling like weird sci-fi stories. Like I want to, And so when it came time to make my next short, I was like, I was itching. I was like, I need to get back onto a set. I need to make something new. Yeah. Um, Because it was, I think there's like two years between the two of them. Okay. And so it was like, I just, I got to make something. I really, you know, and I was like, but whatever I make this time has to be what I want to be doing in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this point I was starting to get, um, I was starting to get people interested in some of the feature scripts that I had written and stuff like that, which were much oh, nice. more in the sci-fi, sci-fi realm. Okay. Um, but the only directing sample I had to show them was this weird Jewish comedy. Yeah, it was a comedy. Yeah. So the they weren't lining up. Hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, I need whatever's whatever's next needs to serve that purpose long term. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, it's got to be sci-fi, and it has to be so logistically simple that if nobody else gives a shit. I can get some friends together and and throw it together, Yeah, and shoot it in my fucking backyard if I have to. Like, I at the at the time I was so desperate to make something that I was like, it needs to be so logistically simple that if it cost me five hundred dollars, I could still do a good job with it. Yeah, like that's how I ended up with two guys talking in a room Mm -hmm. because I was Mm -hmm. like, logistically it doesn't get any easier than that unless you take away one of the guys and it's just one guy. Yeah, right. But (laughs) he's (laughs) not doing a lot of interesting things.
0: (laughs) Um, Could be, could be. But that's what they always say, though. Like, short films are supposed to be two people talking in a room. Yeah. Essentially, everybody keeps going with the big, crazy shorts. Yeah.
1: But yeah, it, that's kind of like your
0: and basics. Yeah.
1: And so I got, um, I, I kind of finally, I came up with the idea for, for what it was. And I was like, okay, I know I'm going to produce it. I know I'm going to direct it. I don't want to write it. Yeah. Because unlike a lot of people in my position at the time, I was not uh, losing sleep over the concept of uh, creative control which is the thing Mm -hmm. you hear a lot of emerging filmmakers say, like, well, I want to keep creative control. I want to blah, 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 blah. And basically what that means is that they don't want to collaborate with people. And for me, the thing that I always loved and always appealed to me about directing was the collaboration.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Because you get to work with a bunch of super talented people. And as I learned when I was making Elijah, the different perspectives and the different skills that they have are going to make what you're thinking of 25 50 75 percent better yeah yeah and you're all there to service the material Mm -hmm, and so as long as you're open to hearing other ideas you can make something really special together but if you're constantly coming at it from like creative control is mine and yeah like you know like (laughs) yeah oh definitely and you, you hear that a lot like in like film school and stuff like that like Oh, well, you know, I don't want to tell you about my idea because you're going to steal it or, oh, no, I have to do all of these jobs because I have creative control. Only I know how to make it the way that I want. And it's like, well, you know how to make it the way that you want, but you also don't know the things that you don't know. Yeah, exactly. So there could be things that you might want that you don't know exist, so you don't know to want them yet. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. And so for me, I was like, I know I'm going to produce it because I don't want to bother anybody else with this tiny little thing that might cost $5. Yeah. I knew I was going to direct it because that was the whole fucking point. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't want to write it because I was like, I don't want to be in a position where there's nobody to tell me now. Yeah. I was like, I want somebody to write this. I have kind of the nugget. Of a of a, a concept, which at the time was basically there's two people in a room. One is a journalist and the other one's trying to convince him he's a time traveler. And nice. that was it. That was all I had. So I met up with a friend of mine and I pitched him the idea. And I was like, I want you to write it. And he was like, sweet. So nice. we we sat around and had a coffee. And by the time we left, it was already 500% more the concept than it was when I sat down. Oh, so amazing. He scurried off to go write. And I just specifically created this. Uh, concept with these two guys for these two actors that I knew um, because I really wanted to work with them. And they both liked Elijah. Okay, nice. They'd seen it on Twitter eventually after all the film festival shit was (laughs) over. yeah. yeah. (laughs) um, And uh, so they were like, if you, you know, if you ever got anything cool, like, let me know, maybe we can do something. And I was like, I'm going to take you up on that someday. So this was my someday. Yeah. And so I was, I was riding such a creative high that like the day that I pitched it to the writer and he scurried off to go think about it. I got home and I typed an email to each of them and I was like, Hey, don't have a script yet, but this is something I'm working on. And I would love to have you uh, read it when it's finished to see if it might be something you want to want to do. Yeah. And the, both of them sight unseen were like, I'm in, send me the script when it's done. Amazing. And we were like, shit, this is a real thing now. Yeah, exactly. Uh Uh-oh. This went from a thought in my head this morning at breakfast to like there are four people involved in this now. I was so excited. And so it became this like, you know, me and the writer would would meet up and we'd beat drafts back and forth. And we set up the Kickstarter. And I think we asked for like $3,500. Nice. We were just like, it's going to be super small, super scrappy. And this will... At the time I was so desperate to make it, I was like, this will cover the production. I will figure out how to finance the post myself. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just want to get something made and this seems like a, a pretty safe number. Cause yeah. I didn't want to go like, oh, I need another ten, I need another fifteen, I need another twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Because like for me, as much as I love crowdfunding, I also think there's a number of times that you can go to that well before people are like maybe you should just be good enough at this that somebody else gives you the money you know so i was like just <laughs> just i just give me a few bucks to make this small scrappy thing and i promise i'll leave you alone forever yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so um through you know through the people that liked Elijah through the people that liked my actors we made i think like 5000 oh, nice. off of it so we we made enough to almost finance the whole thing i still ended up throwing in some money for post at the end yeah yeah uh, to get us over the 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 hump but we we made it all we we hit our goal in 4 days oh what and then Damn. the rest was just gravy yeah yeah um, so you must have been on the it,
0: trending page then cuz i know oh, yeah. You, yeah i know we, if you start getting your goal like If it's like,
1: yeah, we we were thrilled. We were so excited. Did not see that shit coming. Yeah. Like we were like, I I was, I was pretty confident. I was like, I think we can make 3,500. I'm not super stressed about it. I feel like that's possible. Um, cause like my actors, like one of them had been in like Bitten and Smallville yeah, and a bunch that. of other yeah. stuff. And Eric was just, uh, at the time he was fresh off of being the new voice of Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell game. Oh, nice. Um, and so like they had like pretty significant Twitter followings that they were willing to leverage for the film yeah, and they were yeah. willing to tweet out the campaign link and stuff like that. Amazing. So it's like, I feel like between every, all of us, we can make 3,500. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then as soon, as soon as we hit the goal, I was like immediately into planning stages. It was like, I want, basically I want to be deep into pre-production by the time this money hits the bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we did basically, like, I think the campaign was in, I want to say like February or something. And we were shooting in April, I think. Oh, wow. Like it was really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Turnaround. Because again, like it was like, it was two guys in a room. I needed a room yeah and then i needed to fill a crew yeah that was it um and so it ended up being like it came together really fast and we had a great time we shot it all in one night Oh, um, nice! which was a lot yeah yeah i um, was gonna say yeah. but like <laughs> it was it was like one 14 hour day oh wow in and out yeah
0: um crazy and because is it like literally the i haven't had a chance to watch the film
1: but is it literally the guy interviewing the guy
0: yeah, basically. Like basically
1: the whole time? Yeah, basically the idea is uh, that before the film starts, the time traveler has invited the journalist in here um, but has had to convince him that he's legit before he shows up to some weird hotel room. Yeah. And so he would, he's been mailing him uh, small predictions about s- outcomes of sporting events or news headlines before they come out. Small oh, wow. insignificant things, but that you would have to actually legitimately know for yeah them to for them to all line up that way. Yeah. and so he shows up and he still kind of just think there's some sort of parlor trick going on. and basically it's uh it's him convincing him that this is all very much real and then explaining about his experiences and stuff like that. And cool. by the end, you find out that the reason why. Uh, he's he's chosen to speak with this guy is because he's been time-traveling for so long that he's dying.
0: Oh, okay.
1: The prolonged exposure and the numerous trips that he's been on has been breaking him down on like a cellular level. Oh, wow. And he understands the gravity and the weight and the responsibility of a piece of technology like this and how dangerous it is to just have floating out in the ether. And so he's spending his last days Looking for a replacement, basically oh. to pass off the the machine to, and oh, so okay. the the actual interview has been a job interview. It hasn't been the oh, journalist's cool. interview. Is kind of the the reveal by the end of oh, it. Oh, very cool. And so it and so it that's is basically like we can't make it logistically complicated, mm-hmm, but we can mm-hmm. make it story complicated. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, story yeah, yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. But that one's more sci fi, and then the first one you were saying was more comedy writing. Yeah. So now, but now do you find yourself as a comedy writer now being in the comedy
1: scene? And that's the and, tricky thing. I was gonna say now it comes back full <laughs> circle. Because
0: you said it, I'm like, okay, but <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's kind twist, of so yeah, let's get into the
0: into the, the comedy. The comedy life comes back full circle. It does, yeah. That
1: is very strange. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: so you are a comedian here in the
1: city. I am a comedian here in the city. Yeah. Yeah. I've been how long have you been doing that for? Uh my very first open mic was last year on February fifth. Oh nice. We're coming up on the anniversary of my first show. Oh, which wow. Which was March twentieth. Oh wow! um and in that time, I have done a lot <laughs> yes, yes you have you have been making um, waves you have been making waves well i'll I'll put it this way i my very first show was March twentieth okay um and today is what the eleventh yeah I believe so yes, okay, so if I only perform on the shows that I'm currently booked on. By March 20th of this year, I will have done 116 shows. Damn. In my first year.
0: Damn. Um, so
1: that's when you talk about
0: the sleep that you've been trying to yes. catch
1: whenever you can. Because <laughs> I'm working during the day, Eat. running home to let my dog in the backyard yeah. to pee, and then running out to a show to perform. Uh-huh. uh <laughs> Damn. And don't get me wrong, I love it. Oh, I for never sure. thought that this would be something that I would be interested in or be good at or like it w- was so far removed from anything that I thought my life could entail. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, what made and, you want to
0: get into it? Like let's start from the
1: Yeah, let's the let's stand-up. let's start stand-up. let's start from the beginning, yeah, yeah. which wasn't all that long ago. So yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be hard. Yeah. <laughs> um basically I got into stand up accidentally. Okay. Um Basically what had happened was in November of twenty sixteen or sorry, November of twenty seventeen, I went through a really bad uh, depression. Okay. For about probably about a full week. Could not leave the house, could not get off the couch, was Damn. just crying uncontrollably on and off on and off all day. Mm-hmm. And was just really feeling the weight of all of the things that were bothering me about my transition and about my life and about all these different things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what about, I don't know why in that particular moment, but like the dam had just broken and I was just feeling it all all at once, just real hardcore. Yeah. Um, and as I started coming out of this uh, kind of depressive spell, I had this moment of clarity where I was like, I need to find a way to take the power away from these things that are bothering me or they're mm-hmm. going to end up killing me. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what it felt like all week. Like I just felt like the life was draining out of me. Damn. And I just, I didn't feel like myself. I was just curled up in a ball on the couch from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. And I was like, I have to find a way to, to rob them of their power. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. way to you know, take the power back for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. for me, like one of the ways to strip something of its power, one of the easiest ways to strip something of its power is to laugh at it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well maybe I'll try to write jokes about the things that are bothering me. Okay. And so I, you know, th- for a few days uh, while I was walking my dog, I would have my dog, you know, in the leash with one hand and I'd have my phone in the other. And I just in my notepad, I would just type, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, by the end of it, typed out a very raw, very rough version of what became my first comedy set. Um, But was only ever done specifically as a thought exercise, as a writing exercise, just as a, like, is there a way to make some of these things seem less tragic and a little funny? Yeah, yeah. Is there a way that I can laugh at some of this stuff? Definitely. And when I was finished, I sent it to a friend of mine who had been doing comedy for about a year at that point and who I think is very funny – and he's my best friend in the world. And so he knows all this stuff that's been going on with me. And so I thought, oh, here's like the one person in my life that will appreciate this on every level. Yeah. He'll yeah. appreciate that it's jokes. He'll appreciate that it's storytelling. He'll appreciate that it's, you know, stuff about all the shit that I keep hounding him about yeah. and <laughs> complaining about all the time. And I sent it to him. I was like, here's a thing that I wrote, you know, to try to make myself feel better after this shitty week. And he, he read it and he was like, oh, you know what? This is actually not bad. Yeah. He's like, I'm excited to see you do this. And I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Sorry, I think you misunderstood. Like, yeah. no, this is this was a writing exercise. This is not, yeah, I'm yeah. not, no, this is your, that's your thing. This is, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And he was like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. I I, I, I think it's cool. I think mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. And then a couple months later, uh, as we were creeping up toward uh, New Year's, uh, you know, everybody starts thinking about their resolutions and all these other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for me, I knew I wanted to do something specific in 2018 because I came out in 2017, in January of 2017, and I spent a lot of that year in my own head. Okay. For obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was a very internal year for me, which was very healthy and that I needed and and whatever. Um, but I wanted to be able to look back on 2018 and be like, hey, I did some stuff. Yeah, I wanted to take yeah. all that energy that I was spending inward and I wanted to, to put some of it out in the world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily know what that looked like, but I knew that I didn't want it to just be like some like nebulous uh, you know, New Year's resolution that I knew I would default on yeah. three months into the year. Yeah, the so no- was like it's, the norm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so instead of a single resolution, I set up for myself what I called – an accomplishment a month. And basically it was one, uh, I wanted to do one thing every month on the calendar year that I could be proud of. Whether or not it was a small personal achievement, whether it was a professional achievement. Yeah, yeah. Just I wanted to be able to look back at the end of the year and be like, this is the checklist of things I did. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, definitely. And so like some of them were like, you know, uh, in February, I worked out six times a week for the whole month small personal thing yeah you know um i i traded uh on buns for a uh an acoustic guitar and i was gonna take guitar lessons and then one of the last things i was going to do because i knew it would take a while to learn the guitar Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. either in like november or december or something of that year i was gonna spend my month uh trying to write a song okay and then the thing that i would do at the end of the month would be i would record the song on put it up on youtube or something to show people yeah yeah um and so it was like it was it it was not like a big project it was like it was just a bunch of tiny little things and i just i just wanted to look back at the end of the year and be like there it is like there's what i did this year yeah exactly yeah um but then i was starting to realize like oh wow like 12 spots on the calendar is actually like a lot yeah um and so i was like okay well you know i started i started kind of coloring in the the spots where i knew what it could be and then i was like okay i need other stuff to fill in these things i was like oh i could do that set yeah yeah um and i was like so i reached out to my friend i was like hey um you know you remember that thing like for my the thing that i'm doing because he knew i was planning this thing i was like for that thing i'm doing i think maybe one of the months will be i'm gonna perform that set and he was like oh great and I was like, do you think you could help me like, get a, a spot on a show? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure I can come up with something. And my intention was that somebody would give me the opening five minutes of some shitty show in a dive bar somewhere in a corner of Toronto. My friends could come. They could laugh at me or with me or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. then I could check the box and move on. Yep. <laughs> it was only ever supposed to be a one-time thing. And uh, a couple of days later... He introduced me to this comic named Shanti Marastica, which I know Dan mentioned to you. Yeah. He was here before. Yeah, Um, and they are, you know, this prolific, hilarious uh trans comedian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who won, you know, Sirius XM's top comic last year. Yeah. Has crushing. toured and performed like all over the world, was just at Just for Laughs Australia, just this behemoth of a person. Yeah, yeah. And my friend introduces me to them and is like, they have a showcase for emerging queer comedians that they want to book you on. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like what have you done yeah right like, yeah, what are you, yeah. what did you tell them uh, yeah. I'm not an emerging comic yeah. this is just for a lark this is just <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is just me checking off a box yeah, like exactly. literally yeah yeah and he was like you'll be fine yeah. <laughs> so they're like hey I, you know uh, I have this uh, showcase it's called up and comers my third one is uh, coming up in March I would love to have you and I didn't want to make my friend look like an idiot for recommending me. So yeah, I was like, yeah. yay, cool. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I have to start yeah. taking this seriously yeah, now. Yeah, Because I don't want to make them look stupid for booking me. And I don't want to make my friend look stupid yeah. for recommending me. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, shit, okay. Yeah. Now I actually <laughs> have to like put in some work and like do this for real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started getting nervous about it. And then I, uh, it had to be a week or two later, not that long. They reached out to me and they were like, hey, I just happened to be starting up this queer open mic uh, on Church Street every Monday. So if you ever want to drop by and work on your material for this show, oh, nice. You, I'll make sure you get up. And yeah, I was like, yeah. well, I guess I have to. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the first one that they, they held was uh, in February of last year. So I went, made sure I was super early so I could get on the list mm-hmm. and went up and tried it uh and before my five minutes was up i was already like oh oh i like this yeah oh, nice. like it was nice. instant just instant yeah just like in natural. a way that it's yeah just, yeah in yeah. a way that i don't think anything ever has nice and like people were laughing and it was the it was so unbelievably empowering because you've heard my set yeah so yeah. you know all the stuff that i talk about it's all very vulnerable very personal stuff yeah definitely and This is all stuff that I was afraid to tell anybody a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. let alone shouting it out (laughs) to a room full of strangers. Yeah. And so it felt, I felt so strong up there. That's great. And then I got off the stage and everybody, you know, applauded and whatever. And then the show was over and I was talking to some of the other comics and they were all super encouraging. And uh, Shanti was like, oh, yeah, it was tonight was her first time ever on a stage. And they were like, fuck off nice and i was like i'm <laughs> yeah. sorry they're like no like you're like <laughs> right. they're just like i wish my first time looked that good like nice that's you awesome. should be doing this like this makes sense yeah yeah and I, I felt so good it was it was the 93 all over again yeah yeah it was this measurable like i could i had something i could hold on to that was like oh i'm on the right track yeah yeah and so i went back every monday from the first one to to uh, the the Monday before uh, the showcase, which I think happened to be on a Wednesday or something like that, and so it was. Uh, I it was seven weeks difference. So my the first time I ever went up, the first open mic was February fifth, and then the show was March twentieth. Nice. And so I went every Monday to work on the material, and then I went to another open mic once. Uh, so I I'd, I'd done stand up eight times by the time I was at the Rivoli. Yeah. for a sold out show amazing <laughs> amazing and <laughs> it was like the the up-and-comer showcase will no matter where it goes from here that showcase will go down in like the hall of fame moments of my life amazing i'm certain of it yeah yeah um because it was so important and i think literally changed my life that's amazing. like because up like up to that point i wasn't sure what i was doing yeah yeah like i was like I really like this. I think this is a lot of fun. I'm having a good time doing this. People seem to be responding to it. Mm -hmm. The other comics Mm -hmm. seem to like it. The audience seems to be responding to it. But I don't know what it is yet. I'm going to give myself until the show. And then after the show is over, I'm going to figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not I'm still going to do it afterwards. Or is it going to be like a fun hobby that I do once in a while? Or what is it going to be? We'll figure it out. And then the show went so well amazing and uh i finished and then people just started asking to book me on stuff and i just kept saying yes yeah definitely. and just kept yeah. saying yes and then i think it was by the time july came around like i had like 15 shows in the month in a month or something and i was like wow okay like yeah, yeah, right. yeah. you know like i went i went from like i had i think two shows in march because like somebody grabbed me for like a quick show before the end of the month yeah yeah and then i think i had like six in april and then it just snowballed downhill like picked up momentum big time and i don't know when like i i don't have like a specific moment in mind but just somewhere along the road i was like no this isn't a hobby i want this yeah yeah this is like this is mine i'm taking this yeah um and i just i was like i'm going to work as hard as it takes i'm going to you know do as many rooms as i can i'm going to polish the shit out of this yeah 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 you know um and hustle and grind yeah yeah Yeah. and uh i basically just pushed as hard as i could and have worked as many rooms as possible and done my best to go outside of my comfort zone as well in terms Mm -hmm. of the shows that i do like. Um, cause my stuff is all very like deeply political in terms of like trans identities, trans rights, trans issues, and all these sorts of things. And so it's very, I, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's a very comfortable experience to do those at like queer shows yeah. where, you know, the audience is on your side. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, if I'm ever going to do this as more than a hobby, I have to go outside of that. Yeah. Definitely. I have to be able to take this material, these subjects these topics and I need to be able to make Rick and Gregory at the old sod and Etobicoke laugh. Yeah. At you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely on a Thursday night when they don't realize a comedy show is coming. Yeah. You right? know, I need yeah. those guys on my side. That's yeah. how I be. That's how I can turn this into a career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I, I did. I, I went outside of the, the, the kind of the, the safe queer shows and I started doing, you know, weed rooms and, and weird grungy bars off in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and doing shows in Brampton and Pickering and like basically any, anybody that would, I haven't turned down a single show for any reason other than scheduling. I just, I take everything that I humanly can um, because at the end of the day, I'm like, this has to work for everybody. Yeah, Like I can't just decide like, Oh, you know, that's not really my crowd, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't. I need to make it. I need to make them my crowd. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and you can't. Um, and you can't always choose the crowd. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um. And so I've just been doing as many shows as will have me, basically. Amazing. Uh, and that's you know kind of turned into a lot of really, uh, really exciting opportunities in the last year.
0: Yeah, it's been uh,
1: it's been crazy. I just looked up a few. Well, I guess more than a few. I just looked scanning your Facebook
0: and was like. it's almost like every night i'm like holy shit she's just going yeah it's great i mean you just did so there was well i mean through that you said there's gonna be like 116 shows yeah by by your anniversary of of your other show and just i mean through that like you're saying taking all these opportunities you've gotten what's a bunch of uh some awards and stuff some nominees newcomer comic nominee rising star brantford comedy fest
1: you perform at JFL forty two. Yeah, for La Culturistas, which is it's, a really popular comedy podcast. Yeah, 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 which is is incredible.
0: And then now, just most recently, you just did the JFL showcase.
1: Yeah, I sh- which uh, is here in Toronto. Yeah, I did, I've in the in the last year, I've showcased for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, uh, JFL, and CBC Radio. Oh, amazing! Yeah.
0: So are they kind of like the showcases. Are they? A bit of kind of a competition. Basically, they're auditions. Okay, yeah, that's they're what, auditions that's was, in the form saying,
1: yeah. of shows. Basically, so it's a show like any other show, but the producer knows that the bookers from the festival are going to be there. Okay, so cool. they curate it with their favorite comics that they think are gonna are gonna be big deals that they think are are going to show off their tastes. Basically, yeah, yeah. Like it's their job to be it's their job to be like I think you'll like this. Okay. Sort of thing, and then they line up their the people that they think are the best that they like the most or what that they're the most excited about. We were oversold. I saw those some pictures uh, like and stuff. It's it packed. was so packed. Amazing. It was such a great energy in the room. It was so supportive. Amazing. Because um, it was the first time that there has ever been an exclusively queer lineup for a oh, okay. showcase for just for laughs. Oh, nice. And so the community really came out to support. Yeah. yeah. And so there That's is amazing. definitely a level of electricity in the room that is not normal for a showcase. Okay. Cause for the most part, the audiences that show up to showcases are just comedy audiences. Okay. You know, yeah. like your friends will come and support you and stuff like that. But for the most part to a, to a, a comedy audience going to a showcase just means you're pretty much guaranteed a consistently good show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they're not, you know, they don't have any personal stake. They're just there to enjoy a comedy show. So for the most part, they're not going to behave any different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely an extra level of energy in the room at Pegasus Amazing. last Monday. Nice. Of people just really excited to be there, really excited for everybody that was on the stage performing. Nice. And just really great responses out of everyone.
0: Amazing. How long were those, how long are those sets? Like those Seven those minutes. Ones? A
1: seven minute set. Yeah.
0: So did you use some of that polished material? Oh, yeah. it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> it,
1: it's kind of like when you do a showcase, it's basically like do the best of the best stuff that you have. Yeah, pretty like, much. Like cut yeah. out every piece of fat in your set. Cut out every word that you don't need. Yeah, Like yeah. really Very just fine-tuned. the most polished, fine-tuned stuff you have.
0: Nice. Nice. So where does it go from there? Like, when do they let you know? I have they...
1: no idea. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I like because like we were also like t- just timing wise, it worked out that uh, our showcase was one of the first. Oh, okay. uh, For the year. Oh, Because nice. like that's that's a season like showcase season. St- like we we were one of the first at the beginning of uh, March, and it'll go till the end of April. Oh, wow. You know, okay. and there'll be shows all over. The all over the whole country. Oh wow! Um, okay. And the Booker will be flying all over the place. Um, and the festival's in June, so I guess somewhere between the end of April and the festival, yeah. they, <laughs> they have <laughs> to figure out their stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the SNL uh, was a Shashir. Oh, so sheer oh, God, am i gonna butcher that name okay thank thank <laughs> thank you for taking that do <laughs> you just open for her
1: yeah that's uh nice. she was she was in town for uh toronto sketch comedy festival okay amazing. Uh, this past weekend and i was fortunate enough to open for her on the saturday show which was really awesome yeah that's great that was such a cool experience nice that is really cool yeah she's just been blowing up yeah just it's it's been awesome right like and you're it's,
0: saying a snowball you work hard keep going never deny anything you don't know who's going to be out there keep going i'll start it from basically yeah.
1: having fun for yeah <laughs> about for to have fun with it one 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 time yeah yeah, yeah i'll to just one. do it one time it's just I, it one that's time. It, that's why <laughs> it's funny because like i keep this i keep this google doc on my phone mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's why i know like the 116 is because like i have a document in my phone and every time i book a show nice. i write it in and i number it because it's just this cute little reminder to me that like 115 shows ago, this was supposed to be over. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. 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 was supposed and, to be the, just
0: the check in the box. Exactly. And <laughs> so I just, I up. love,
1: I love seeing it and, and yeah. watching it continue to expand and just be like, wow, like, yeah. Who would have thought, like, not in a million years. Yeah, yeah. You know? So
0: is it is it just stand-up, or you do do you do improv as well? No, I improv I'm, no. scares the shit out of
1: me. <laughs> scares the shit out of me. Yeah, but the stand-up scared the shit out of you first, too. No, stand-up. Like... Sta- I I understand stand-up because stand-up is story. Okay. okay and yeah. so for me, stand-up is is a few degrees removed from what I've been doing this whole time. Okay, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I, it's a different kind of storytelling and it's much, perso- much more personal and there's a lot less between you and the, the audience that's eventually going to consume it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I understand how to write it. I understand how to structure it. I understand that, you know, I have to memorize it and then deliver it. When it comes to improv, the reason why it scares me so much is because I have to be funny on demand. Yeah. And that terrifies yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Because... When I'm up on a stage, like, I don't get nervous doing stand-up for the most part. Oh, nice. Uh, Because the first time that I ever, like, when I did that first open mic, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. Nobody even knew that I had booked the show in March yet. Oh, okay. Because my thought was, if I go up here, and this is a total fucking train wreck... (laughs) it never happens yeah. <laughs> because nobody I know is in this room. Okay. I don't owe these people anything. Yeah. Okay. I no, could just do. disappear into the night. Yeah. Nobody will ever see me again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I felt very free of yeah. consequence and judgment when I went up the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when it went well, I was like, Oh, okay. So there's not that much to be afraid of.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: the longer I've been doing it, the more like, I remember when I, you know, when I was doing my first showcase, uh, back in October for Winnipeg and a lot of people on the, the show were really nervous and they're like, why don't you seem nervous? I was like, cause it's just jokes. Nice. I was like, at the end of the day, like the wor- my worst case scenario tonight is that I go up there and people don't laugh at me. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> as far as stakes go. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like over over my time like i've had jobs like i've had such stressful jobs i've had you know like i used to be an assistant at a production company answering directly to the head producer where if i fucked up a uh you know an address or something i could send them to the wrong part of town for a meeting that wasn't going to happen in that building yeah. you know and and completely screw up a deal or yeah, i could yeah. you know there are, there are just a hundred ways that my mistakes could like be an atom bomb to that, that person or that company or that deal or that whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me to get up on a stage and the stakes are people don't think you're funny. I'm like, fuck, I'll take that any day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, Fair enough, fair enough. When you look at it like that. Yeah. And I, that has been a very freeing mindset to have for me because like I come at it from a place of like, a, this was only supposed to ever happen once. Yeah. So literally every other show that I get is just a cherry on top. Yeah, yeah. And also, this is so much fun. Mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. having the time of my life every time I get on that stage. That's amazing. Um, Because for me, like, for me specifically, because of the stuff that I talk about, because of who I am as a queer trans woman, there are not a lot of me standing on that stage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so... I take that very seriously. It's probably the only thing that I take very seriously yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in all of this is that there's a very good chance that I'm the first trans person that somebody in that room is seeing for for the first time in their life. Oh,
0: okay, nice. It could yeah,
1: yeah. be their first actual exposure to the concept of transphobia, to the concept of trans identity mm-hmm. that night for seven minutes with me on that stage. And so... My material is written specifically to be an entry point for people like that so that you could go in knowing absolutely nothing about transness and everything that I tell you in that seven minutes makes sense to you by the time I leave. That's very cool. And that's partly for them. Yeah, yeah. That's partly for the people that don't know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's partly an education. But then it's also in large part because I wish I could have seen me. 10 years ago you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely there there's not a lot of opportunities to see yourself as a trans person projected in your entertainment Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. especially in something that is very much like a cisgender straight white boys club like comedy yeah i take my responsibility of being on that stage very seriously when it comes to the uh, the possibility that there's a single trans person in that audience and what seeing me on that stage could mean for them that night yeah yeah and that's not me getting all high and mighty and like on my high horse about anything no that's no very much through experience and I like that was never something that it, that had really occurred to me when I first started doing this because again it was all this is my therapy this is my whatever this <laughs> yeah is all just yeah. for fun but then. I was meeting people after shows and I was meeting, you know, just, you know, straight white dudes at the end of shows who were like, I never saw it that way. Yeah. It, you know, I didn't even think of it from that angle before. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for doing this. I did uh, the the show you mentioned in Brantford for the Brantford Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I performed for 300 uh, Brampton natives. Or Branford natives, sorry, I always get them confused. Yeah. <laughs> 300 Branford natives who were on average aged 40 to 50. Okay. Talk about not my demographic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that show went so well. Amazing. And then after the end of that show, this younger couple, probably in their like mid to late 30s, came up to me and they were like, Thank you so much for coming out here. Like, I know this is probably not the kind of crowd that you usually perform for but i can guarantee the majority of the people in this room right now have never seen a trans person in their lives and i can guarantee that you changed minds tonight by being here that's amazing and that kind of stuff never fucking occurred to me yeah yeah you know like it's so much was, more
0: than comedy yeah
1: point, i was right? always cognizant of the fact that like oh wouldn't it have been cool to see a trans comedian for myself yeah and i think that's really cool that i could possibly be that for another trans person yeah you, you and person, meeting yeah. other trans people at the end of shows where they're like oh my god where you talk about how hard it is to open a jar now like i was falling on the floor like i totally like, relate <laughs> to that like yeah and because as a trans person like you don't get that anymore right like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the minute you start having these unique experiences that are that are you know unique to, to transitioning and and unique to being on hormone therapy and stuff like that. You don't you don't see that reflected in the art when you go to a comedy show. Yeah. And, and it's a lineup of, of straight white guys talking about how much they hate Twilight or why their girlfriend's a bitch or whatever. The, yeah. whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. they're talking <laughs> yeah. about. So to to have somebody that's literally speaking to you and your experiences is so much more rare you know once you start getting into the different sorts of minority yeah um and so that was you know when that happens that's really special for me and i i love that so much but even more so like when i can expose somebody who to these ideas and these concepts and and to present myself just as a human being to these people mm-hmm. who have never had uh an encounter with a trans person before and have only ever You know their experience with transness is fucking Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, or you know headlines that they're reading in the Toronto Star or whatever. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I have an opportunity to humanize them and make them a little less weary of the next person that they meet. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that was something that I never, never saw as a as a an opportunity or a responsibility through comedy until it happened the first time. Yeah, And now that's something that I'm always cognizant of. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's amazing. I don't remember the original question. Give me- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Either do I, to be honest.
1: And I actually don't care. Because
0: <laughs> that's great that you can break barriers and break molds and, and, and showcase that and have it be so much more. It's like, it's crazy because you're, like you're saying, it was just supposed to be a one-off thing that you were just going to go do your own therapy and it snowballed in something you love to do. And now it's opening up minds and showcasing different things it's not just comedy and that's yeah that's amazing to see that's great i'm glad you're having a great time with it yeah yeah very much so (laughs)
1: yeah and it's it's the thing that i like just on like a personal like level like looking at the way that comedy has gone like it has fit in such a natural way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it baffles me That I did something like Elijah and was like, oh, this isn't me. I need to make these other things. Yeah. Because it's funny that like going back, like even to the, to the, going back to high school, going back to that 93 that I got. Yeah. Yeah. That was from a comedy. I wrote a comedy. That was the project that we worked on. Oh, (laughs) it does come full circle. And then I got to film school and I was like, oh, well time to sit up straight and make yeah. real movies. Yeah. <laughs> but those those shorts that I made as part of my application, they were comedies. All comedies as well. But then I got accepted and I was like, okay, away with the comedies now to make real things. Yeah, yeah. And then made all these other things. And then just for some reason, I don't know why I dismissed them mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as lesser in my creative pursuits because clearly there's there was something there the whole time yeah yeah and but i think a big part of it is for at least for me uh all of my comedy specifically comes from vulnerability Mm -hmm. um like if you broke down all of my material in terms of subject matter and what was being said in them none of it's funny (laughs) none of the subjects that I talk about are funny. I talk about being unhappy with the sound of my voice. I talk about uh, discomfort in my transition. I talk about my, you know, I talk about family members not understanding me entirely. I talk about different kinds of transphobia. I talk about being harassed on the street. All of the things that I talk about are very personal, very real, very not funny when you strip away the jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because they're they're vulnerable personal things to me and i've just found ways to frame them that are funny yeah but because my comedy comes from such a personal and vulnerable place i don't think i ever could have done it pre-transition okay because part of repressing my identity meant that i could not be vulnerable yeah yeah i had all these defenses up i had all these walls up and so i i could never access that core of who I was and that vulnerable piece to find the funny in it. Yeah, because yeah. I was hiding so much of who I was, there was nothing to pick at. Yeah, wow, Let's
0: goes so much deeper.
1: Yeah, yeah, the
0: layers are real. <laughs> <laughs> the layers are real. Wow, that's powerful. Very powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good, very good way to look at it. So what's well then? Uh, keep going. Obviously, with the comedy, what's what's up next for you? I see that the
1: Sketchersons. Yeah, I'm mm. uh, I'm hosting Sunday Night Live, You're a comedy Sunday bar Night? on Sunday, which is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Mm-hmm. Talking mm-hmm. about doing different types of comedy, this is going to be my first time ever doing sketch. Yeah, that's um, a, yeah,
0: that's why I kind of asked about the improv and that kind of stuff and see if you. I'm terrified. <laughs> this this is
1: probably the scariest, the the most scared that I've been in anything comedy related so far in the last year is knowing that I'm going to be doing sketch on Sunday. Um, cause I've just, I've never done it. Yeah. Yeah. Other people are going to be writing the material. Yeah. Like, and the way that they do it, the way that, that Sunday night live specifically is, uh, formatted is all of the rehearsing is done on the day. Yeah. So we show yeah. up Sunday afternoon, run through everything and then perform it that night.
0: Do you get the material beforehand? Yeah. yeah, At yeah, least? yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah
1: um but, but still, i'm just like I mean, oh my god like it's so, because it's so different than anything else i've ever done yeah, yeah. um that's pretty quick turnaround. It, yeah. it's like hey that's what
0: rehearse for tonight
1: yeah yeah we don't even get a yeah, day yeah, for yeah. you to we, think about we pitch, it pitch they they pi- we we talk about the sketches that we're going to do on thursday so in a couple days okay uh and then we perform them and rehearse them sunday and i'm just like wow like because the the thing is like all the people in the Sketchersons are so talented like it's it's probably the best sketch group in toronto nice um and so i'm very aware of like that makes me so aware of how green i am (laughs) in the concept of sketch and so i'm just like oh god like i do not want to be the sandbag yeah. <laughs> drags this whole thing down, <laughs> but I'm looking uh, forward to it. Cause I know a few people that have done it and they all said it's so much fun and they had such a really good time for it. Yeah. So nice. like I'm, I'm a little terrified of it, but also very excited at the same time. Yeah.
0: That's great. No, you're going to kill it. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. What's that Sunday at comedy bar. You yeah. said
1: there it Sunday
0: is. at nine 30. There we go. There's a little plug. Speaking of which plugs, what can we expect? 2019. Oh God. Ashley Cooper. What's uh obviously you've already. Lots more. it for a year. So. Yeah. A
1: lot, I've got a lot more comedy on the way and hopefully uh, that maintains its course. Yeah. Anything um, booked
0: or that you can throw out there for.
1: uh I mean, I've got i I've got a few things coming up. Uh The, the day out. So the day after Sunday night live uh, yep. on the 18th, I'm going to be headlining the QAP to open mic, which is where I got my start. Oh, nice. Um, and then uh, on the 27th is the I Heart Jokes Awards, which is where I was nominated for Best Newcomer Comic. Amazing. Um, and then I'm going to be doing Hutchison and Friends uh, with Paul Hutchinson on uh, the 29th. I've got stuff coming up all over the place. Jesus. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm constantly any t- – anytime I get added uh, to an event or uh, I get booked on something, I add it to Ashley Cooper Comedy on Facebook which Perfect. is uh, where you can keep basically track of uh, is there's basically a living calendar uh, yeah. <laughs> of all of yeah. my upcoming shows on, on the page there. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> amazing.
0: So other than the page, where can people, where can people find you?
1: Uh, Twitter and Instagram stuff? at Ashley J A Y Cooper uh, or my website is Ashley, the letter J Cooper.com. Excellent. What about YouTube? Do you ever put some yeah. of the... Ashley Cooper comedy on YouTube as well.
0: Nice. Yeah. So you have a bunch of sets yep. up there and videos that everybody can watch? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, there you have it. There was the plugs away. Now go out and see her live. Very, very funny. I'd like to thank you for coming by. Thanks for having this. me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time. We try to have fun on here. Try to keep it, <laughs> try to keep it light. Once again, though, this has been North of the 49th. You can catch us every Wednesday with new guests, fun times. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podbean. Yeah, get with it. Thanks for listening, and uh, let's get you through the rest of your work week.